0: I warned you about November. I told you how long this month was. I told you it it really separates and filters out what's real and what isn't in college football. They didn't believe me. Jesse Collin, they didn't believe me yet again. They meaning mainly the newcomers to this sport. We're happy to have you. we got a loaded show tonight. we got a bunch of folks already watching live. I'm always happy to have newbies because we were all new at the table of college football at one point in time. That you need to know, not everyone has four months worth of gas in the tank. Some folks really fool you in September and October, but November, no one fakes it through November. We're jam-packed high atop a dark downtown Nashville, Tennessee, because that time change means sunsets at 445 joy. It's Sunday, November 5th, the year of our Lord, 2023. LSU Bama was insane last night. You trying to get your voice back? I wouldn't recommend going and standing down there for four and a half hours, but yet I did last night and I'm here to tell the tale. You guys really should have beaten Alabama when you had the shot. Warned you. AM really was shouldering the burden for a lot of America. They didn't get it done and now here goes Alabama. Downhill momentum. I'll talk about that. I'll talk about all the Week 10 reaction. I've got a sneaking suspicion that it's going to be an eventful week in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And that's not just because they play Penn State on the road this Saturday. No, I think there's some other odds and ends that may come to a head in the not-too-distant future at all. I'm going to tell you what I think. And we'll find out together this week. I will reveal the week 11 once upon a Saturday tour destination. I've got a couple of early best bets. We've got a jam-packed show because that's what happens when you avoid food poisoning on the road and you actually get back to Nashville and do your job. It's all we really want to do is our job. Sometimes it is taken from us, though. I guess in a way, November got me last week. They're watching us in Bay City, Texas, Canton, Georgia, Bluefield, Virginia, Tucson, Arizona. Guess what? guess what management's done? They've decided to fly me right up to New York again this week. So little programming note, Tuesday night, we're going to do the show a little bit earlier. It'll be live. Everything will be normal. We'll do JP poll. We'll do game previews. um, So it'll be a loaded show. But uh, we're going to do that thing at 6 Eastern, 5 Central, because I got to hop a Tuesday night flight up to New York which I say so casually, but yeah, I'm going to do inside college football up there like I did a few weeks ago with New Heisel, Brian Jones, Brent Stover. We'll do that Wednesday night on CBS Sports Network, and I'll be back here to do the Thursday show. So set your clocks accordingly. Let's dive into tonight's show. Listen to how thick the stack of papers in my hand is. Um, You know, the Once Upon a Saturday tour took us to Tuscaloosa last night. Alabama 42, LSU 28, uh, Bryant-Denny Stadium was just insane last night. I've been there dozens of games. That was a top three Bryant-Denny Stadium environment for me last night, and they brought it, man. That place was amazing. Washington earlier this year for the Oregon game had been, you know, the loudest, most raucous venue that I've been to this year. And last night, uh, I'm I'm going 1A, 1B, like both of those places really flexed hard. And what a night it was for college football. What a night it was for Alabama. And also, what a time to remind ourselves not to take these things. I hold in my hand a pen. Don't write your opinions in September in pen. Because if I were to sit here and and write what I wrote or write what I thought in pen about Alabama back in September, it would have sounded a lot like this. These fools got no shot. I thought the USF game was worse than the Texas game, mind you. They, they lost against Texas. They were lifeless against USF. That was the game Milrow didn't start for, you know, whatever reason. And now here we go. We fast forward. Win, 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 win. We're, we're several weeks down the road. Looks like a different team, doesn't it? It's a funny thing. It's a funny thing when you give talented rosters and supremely experienced and high-level coaching staffs time with those talented rosters. Sometimes crazy things can happen. I really wondered in this game if LSU's approach defensively wouldn't really make them vulnerable to Alabama having a really good day on the ground. That's what happened. Alabama, every one of Alabama's touchdowns, I believe, came on the ground. Uh, they, what did they have? They had 288 yards and six touchdowns on the ground. 156 of that was Milro. And I, I've heard a couple of people today sort of explain it away as if to say, oh, yeah, Bama ran it for a lot, but but 156 of that was Milroe. Like that's not a, a six-foot-two freight train back there who is allowed to run the ball just as much as a running back is. Jalen Milrow actually playing his game now. Tommy Reese, credit to that offensive coaching staff, they are calling Jalen Milrow's game now. I wasn't saying that after the Texas game. Sure wasn't saying that after the USF game. Neither was anyone else who was watching this team. It's not a perfect team. It's not a vintage Saban team. It's a team that's plenty good enough to win every game on its schedule if the needle is threaded. And if his, being, being Jalen Miller, if his skill set is properly leveraged, that defense is good enough. The uh, supporting cast is good enough. They had eight different guys catch balls last night, and Burton wasn't even featured. Jermaine Burton's their wide receiver one, had three catches for 29 yards. They're good enough. I thought that even back before they hit their stride, I thought they were good enough. I picked them to win the national title this year. I thought they were good enough. It was just, when will they, mm, I don't know, realize that potential? Maybe they're starting to realize it right now. Second halves are amazing with Alabama. They threw, let's see, I don't want to do through games. How about this? Alabama has outscored LSU, Ole Miss, and Tennessee 56 to 10 in the second half of those games. I was in their building all day Friday, uh, big hat tip if I wore hats, to David Ballou down there and the entire strength staff let me work out down there. It's like NASA. It's unbelievable. I got to keep my mouth shut about like 90% of that technology because I don't even think it's been released in NASA yet. It's amazing. Uh, you'll probably never get the opportunity, but if you do get the opportunity to work out down there, take it, take it, take it. Anyway, so I was, I was in the facility And uh, you know who everyone speaks glowingly of, not so surprisingly, is Kevin Steele. And the reason they love Kevin Steele is because of that second half stuff, is because even with an imperfect unit, even with, frankly, a lot of the pieces that was on an even more underachieving unit last year, there's an intensity, at the very least, that he's pulled out of that unit defensively that you didn't see last year. And you know what? I had a guy a long time ago tell me that is really resonating to me right now with Kevin Steele is you can tell the mark of a leader. You can tell how effective someone is by what he or she is able to pull out of the people they're leading. Whatever Alabama's defense is capable of, Kevin Steele's pulled every ounce of it out. And it's not a Kevin Steele solo effort, nor would he sit there and tell you that himself. But what, what else do you notice that's changed? I mean, at the very top of that defense is Nick Saban, and then right beneath him is the defensive coordinator. Uh, Kevin Steele's done a phenomenal job. It's about attitude. Like, more so than anything else, if you're a longtime Bama fan, you watched them the last few years, you didn't necessarily yell, man, we lack talent at your TV screen. You said, who's putting their face in the fan here? Like, who's really willing to go over the cliff? Who is properly tackling? It's, it's, you, you could get aggravated about not properly fitting the run. You could get mad at guys not playing the ball in the air effectively. But even if you lack that sometimes, if you will just play with your hair on fire, sometimes you just happen to be in the right place. Sometimes you accidentally make plays. They're doing that stuff this year. And then on top of that, they execute at a pretty high level. It's all I need from them. That's all I need from Alabama. I don't need the greatest of this of all time. I don't need the greatest that of all time. Because this is not a year where I look around the SEC and see a bunch of elite. I don't see it anywhere. So that's kind of been my mentality with them the whole time. Also, I listened to Brian Kelly last night after the game. And it was obvious. He was kind of trying to avoid the thing that people will do sometimes where you kind of find yourself looking for a pat on the back. So they go in there last night and they're a three-point dog and they get beat by two touchdowns. And Brian Kelly afterwards was so emphatic multiple times in the press conference and saying, yeah, we were good tonight. We were good at this. We were good at that. That's not good enough. Good is not the standard around here. Now he's You can claim that's performative if you want to. It's not a message to the media. It's a message to the organization. I I think a lot of folks look at that stuff sometimes and they think, well, you know, if we were a top five team and we were undefeated and we went in here and lost, then our world would be crushed. But, hey, we've already lost a couple of games. This isn't the biggest shock. We did some good things tonight. That's what someone who has eight and four aspirations says. This is a national championship program. LSU's national championship program. Uh, they're not there yet. They weren't there last year. W- when we talked to him, we had him on the show in the spring, and he talked a lot about how some early success can be great, but it can also work to your detriment. It could also be like you tying your shoestrings together at both ends in terms of tripping yourself up, trying to make bigger gains down the road because you fool yourself into thinking, I just figured it out the first time around. No. You won some games that you weren't favored to win the first time around. They, they've still got so much to improve about that program. I've not changed my view on Brian Kelly an inch. I think he's absolutely the right guy. I think he'll absolutely make the right moves. I think that, by and large, no one's changing their opinion of him at this point. But also, look, they they showed some good things tonight. I just loved what he said afterwards when he he wasn't, it wasn't like he was refusing to give credit. He was giving credit, but then saying, yeah, but good is not enough. I, I'm not here to be good. We don't, we don't wear this LSU logo to be good. It's a national championship program, and you should expect nothing less. I love that. What I didn't love so much was I'm standing there on the sideline last night, just immensely blessed to be in that position every week. And Dallas Turner goes and just about annihilates Jaden Daniels. And then the IJ starts blowing up. And uh, this happened, I don't know, probably 15, 20 yards in front of me. Um, the broadcast, I would assume, had multiple great angles of it. I thought I had a pretty good look at it. And I thought it was, it was pr- probably football 20 years ago. It's probably unnecessary roughness last night. I didn't view it as targeting. I know what your argument against that is. I'm not really interested in delving into that in the comment section, but I will say this. I have found in the past that when these sorts of plays happen, I used to get it with Ndamukong Sue all the time. I'm not comparing the two players. Please don't say that I am, but I've seen this a time or two. Some of these players get labeled dirty players, then they get you know, their, their sin, Dallas Turner's biggest sin is he's good enough to be around the quarterback a lot, therefore he's got more opportunities to put hits on the quarterback, and inevitably some of them are going to knock guys out of games, and some of them may come a fraction of a second or two later than you're liking, and some of them will draw flags and some of them won't, but shame on Dallas Turner for being good enough to do that. Shame on Dallas Turner for playing with an edge, by the way, what I've noticed is in the past, players of his ilk get criticized a lot. And when you really wipe away all the sand and all the dirt on top of the argument and you brush the fog out of the way, it's just people pissed off they don't have players like that on their own team. That's really who's mad. It's not that you really care about the well-being of the player. About 2% of you do. 98% of you are just aggravated. Nick Saban's got some dude down there who plays a million miles an hour and occasionally can be a little reckless I would take a hundred of them on my team. So Dallas Turner, probably not looking to hit the portal anytime soon. He will portal to the NFL soon enough. But if he wants a place to play, Dallas Turner can play for this team right here. Pate State, I got an immediate opening for players like that. Not necessarily what my LSU people want to hear. I know that. But I will, um, I'd say the same thing if it was your guy. I think I actually have before. Hats off to everyone down there, uh, both sides, man. Like that's, I always love going to that game. The LSU-Bama game has been my favorite game in college football for about 15 years now because the level the game is played at is really high. The stakes are really high. The people just absolutely despise each other. It's so great. That toxicity makes for a wonderful environment, and we got one at Bryant-Denny last night. Man, that place was on fire. I said at the beginning of the season, and it was emphatically reiterated last night, Bryant-Denny Stadium has this reputation as kind of not living up to the hype all the time. But the reason is because Bama's been so good, those folks got complacent and they never feel threatened. That's really it. It's not that they win. The winning makes you complacent and you don't ever walk into that place really scared you're going to lose. This year, for three games, those folks have walked in there Really afraid that they could lose. They were truly threatened by Texas. They should have been. They got beat. They were threatened and revenge minded against Tennessee. Place was on fire. And last night, I am telling you, is about as good as I've ever heard Bryant Denny Stadium. Why? Because LSU had a good shot to beat you. And you got up in Tuscumbia, and you got up in Mobile, and you got up in Demopolis and Muscle Shoals, Muscle Shoals to the locals, and you drove to work accordingly. And I am appreciative because I just kind of got to soak it all in. So that was awesome. That was amazing. That was week 10 for the Once Upon a Saturday tour. Where are we going for week 11? Now, you have to pause for just a second because I have to type something on my laptop. And um, this is me trying to time up the live tweet as I make the announcement on the show. That's all this is. Okay, we're ready. All right, so there has been a lot of internal debate here at 24-7 and CBS over the past couple of weeks about where we were going to go for week 11 uh, because it's been very much up in the air. And then a network that will not be named chose to exercise their six-day flex, which basically means they don't announce the kickoff times for the games. And you know how much I love a good early kickoff. It's not mandatory, but I do love the early kickoff. So late, and I mean late into the evening, deliberations continued right there in Bryant-Denny Stadium. Back and forth we went, but we have arrived at the place that I really always wanted us to arrive, and that is this Saturday, we will be in State College, Pennsylvania, Michigan versus Penn State, big noon kickoff, not broadcast by my network, but I'll wave the pom-pom anyway. We're going to be there. We're going to be there. It's the first time we will have been at Beaver Stadium this year. We were up there in the spring, but they didn't play a game that week, and so Michigan, Penn State... Huge matchup. No room for error. This is it. The only thing behind Penn State is a cliff. And if they get pushed one step further, they go over it. And I'm not going to quite say they're in wounded animal mode because they just blasted Maryland yesterday. But I am so interested to see what the number one run defense in the country right now statistically looks like against, well, a real living, breathing freight train of a running game at Michigan. What's going to happen this week off the field? I don't know. We're going to talk about it in a few minutes. I'm about to tweet this out right now. I'm still calling it Twitter. This is going to be so great. Now, what time will we get home Saturday night? Will we be able to get out of there? It's anyone's guess. But we'll be there when it counts. Looking forward to that. Always love going up there. Hey, hat tip to our buddy Texas Aggie Hype, who makes these graphics for us every week. Does really good work. I give him virtually no lead time, and he's boom, 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 just puts it together. I love it. Very clean, very crisp. I appreciate that. All right, let's continue. We got so much more work to do tonight. Still taking precautionary measures for the voice here. It's like 80% back, but I'm still sipping the hot water. Not even flavored. Texas held on, didn't they? 33-30 to 30 against Kansas State yesterday. I'm one of those people who was in a hotel room yesterday. You may have been at lunch. You may have watched the early portion of this game at the gym. Wherever you were, when you saw Texas 17, Kansas State goose egg, you probably said, good for Sark and the boys, good for Texas. Doesn't look like the Avery Johnson kid has an answer. He's not even in the game for Kansas State. This one's over, boop, flip the channel. And then all of a sudden, in my case, your Uncle Dennis, Dennis Dodd, walks up to you as you've arrived at your place of business. Mine was Bryant-Denny Stadium yesterday. And Dennis says, hey, Kansas State's about to win the game. Excuse me? In what sport? Football? What's happened? And what happened was they kept playing. Some turnovers, some crazy things happened. Seasons are long. I always tell you that. But games are long, too. Even with the new clock rules, games are very, very long. And Texas is up 17-0. And then all of a sudden, it's crazy how you can feel two different ways over the span of a game. If you're a Texas fan, let's just say you're Trey Scott, for example, a fictitious buddy of mine who happens to really exist, 17 to nothing, you, you are on top of the world. And then it's 27-21, and you give the ball away, and you know what's coming. And sure enough, touchdown, right down the middle, and they're lining up to kick an extra point to take the lead on you. And it's like the soul has been sucked out of your body. Now, imagine you're a player. You can afford to feel any which way you want to on your couch. Imagine being a player. That's the game Texas loses in the past. And they didn't. They found a way to win yesterday. Texas outrushed Kansas State 230 to 33. If you showed me that, I would grab the paper from you on Friday. I would go like that. And I would say, wow, you just found the padlock stat. But you didn't. Kansas State, 1.1 yards per carry was not a padlock stat. As it turns out, well, that's what turnovers will do for you. And Texas had some killer turnovers. It's sort of the, the opposite of the Bama game. When Texas played Bama, they closed the final seven minutes. They never gave the ball back. And in this one, they couldn't close the game out. And as a result, they almost lost the thing, but they didn't. And inevitably, you could have told me, if you told me in August, Texas is going to win the Big 12 if you told me and they haven't they're the favorite to do it still but they haven't but let's just say they go on to do it it was never going to be blowouts every week they were probably going to lose a game somewhere along the lines and even if they lost one like they did to Oklahoma they're probably going to have another one like this you just have to find a way and they found a way and it's an important thing they built that 17-0 lead or where would they have been yesterday here's here's what I got If I'm trying to believe in Texas, I got a win. I got a fast start. That's very encouraging. I got a good defense, a deceptively good defensive performance. Three or four of Kansas State's touchdown drives were short drives, a positive field position for them brought on by turnovers. I thought Texas's defense was put in some very vulnerable positions yesterday. Did okay, not a perfect afternoon, but it's a reminder about the second half. You know, I said a couple of minutes ago, They've been really good. They've been a good second-half team, and that's something they've been very intentional about there. But it's not something that all of a sudden, once you've fixed it, you don't have to worry about it anymore. you got to focus on that stuff. you got to be intentional about it every week, or this happens. And all of a sudden, your second-half reputation goes up in smoke, and it's the other team coming back on you. So the reason I mention that is once you've won, you get to take a lot of your screw-ups, and you get to use them positively. However, if you had lost yesterday, we'd be talking about next season because the expectation here is conference title and maybe college football playoff. And had you lost this game, one or both of those things may have been out the window. So Texas got a win. I think a lot of good can come from it. Quinn Ewers is obviously the headline that I haven't mentioned until now because he was out again. Malik Murphy started this game very up and down. I don't know where Arch Manning is. In his preparation or progression right now, I I wonder, well, number one, I wonder whether Quinn Ewers will be back quicker than we thought he would. Uh, Keep your eyes on Horns247.com for the latest on that. And if he's not, if they have to play TCU this week without him, how do they distribute reps in practice this week? Is it all Murphy still? Very interesting to watch. Kansas State, just, just a minute here. Three losses, all by one possession, all on the road tough team. It's a team that lost their top running back to the NFL, lost their top receivers, had to reinvent themselves midseason. It's a really good program, man. I know I don't need to tell you how good Chris Kleiman is, or maybe I do. Maybe you haven't paid a lot of attention to them. I, typically, typically, if you have the talent acquisition process that you have to have at a place like Kansas State, and you lose players like Deuce Vaughn, you lose players that they lost last year in general. Oh, and by the way, you're coming off a conference title year that took you to the Sugar Bowl. Everyone's gunning for you anyway. You, you should fall a lot back further to earth than they have. And I know they lost yesterday, but in this sport, it's not the NFL. In this sport, you can impress. You can get a, a back pat from me in a loss. Not that they're interested in it in Manhattan, Kansas, but I, I remain ultra impressed with the folks at Kansas State, man, but right now, Texas, Oklahoma State, those are the only one-loss teams in that conference, and then you got Kansas, Kansas State, Oklahoma, West Virginia, and Iowa State, all with two losses in conference, and it is November 5th, so the Big 12 is revving its engine, and here we are in the grandstands. We're ready to watch the show. I would like to interest you in a $10,000 Academy Sports and Outdoors gift card. I see all the hands in the room going up, and that's because you're smart enough to know that can go a long way towards my Christmas shopping. And then I would like to remind you, that's not it. They're also giving away two tickets to the SEC Championship game. Where do you sign up? Just download and log into the Academy app, and then you're registered. You're good. You're ready to go. Someone's going to win this. They might as well be in our audience I stayed in Tuscaloosa in the shadow of an Academy Sports and Outdoors this past weekend, and I'm a better man for it. Some would argue having the strings available to me that I have, I should have pulled one of them and just stayed in the store because, frankly, a lot of those camping display setups have better accommodations than I had in that hotel anyway, and, you know, mm. We'll talk to Legal about that, Jesse. That's not a half bad idea, actually. We'll, probably some paperwork we have to work through. But maybe on one of these future road trips, I'd just flat out stay in an academy overnight. CBS would probably pay for the security. Maybe half and half we go on that. Great promotional idea. Anyway, a great idea for you in general. I mentioned Christmas coming up. Just go to academy. Don't even worry about what you need. Go, go in there without a list. Just walk the aisles and realize, oh, they've got this? Whoa, Academy's got that? Because if you've never been there, mark my words, you're underestimating what they have. You're just thinking sporting goods. You're thinking, oh, you got soccer equipment, you got basketball equipment. They got all sorts of stuff on top of that and big league chew in the checkout line. So academy.com if you can't get there in person. And as for that contest, okay, the $10,000 gift card, two tickets to the SEC championship game. Just download the Academy app. Log into it. You're good. The official rules are on academy.com backslash rules, void, unfortunately, in Hawaii, Alaska, California, and New York. I need one of you to go win that because I'm not allowed to enter, which is one of the only downsides of partnering with Academy. It is unethical to enter the contest. Take a sip from the chalice. I've neglected it all night. And then immediately wash it down with some warmer water. All right, let's roll on. We got so many more games to talk about. Georgia beat Missouri 30-21 to 21 yesterday. A big misconception game, I think. I'm going to play you some sound in a few minutes from Kirby Smart uh, that makes the point I'm making. Kirby does that so often, makes the points I'm trying to make. Huh? It's weird how that works. Where in the world is Carson Beck's bad game? Have you noticed this? Have you, have you, waited along with me for him to finally just lay a massive egg. Not that I'm rooting for it. What I'm saying is look around at the other first-year starters at quarterback. Milrose had one. Um, Joe Milton's had one. Kyle McCord's had one. Uh, Drew Ahlers had one. A lot of these other first-year starters, they've had the predictable bumps in the road and, and volatility in performance week to week. That comes with being a first-year starter in college football. Carson Beck is a veteran who just happens to be starting for his first year. Unbelievable. They will not beat themselves. I, I said that last week before this game. I said, I guess an upset is possible, but Missouri's the one that will have to do it. Georgia's not beating themselves. They don't put themselves in that position. And they didn't again. They won by nine. It's not a blowout. Georgia, I don't think, is an elite version of themselves yet. I've said that all year, but they don't beat themselves. It's kind of like I said a second ago. Even if you don't execute as well as humanly possible, if you'll just play with max effort, it is wild what will happen. The other team will hand you the game half the time. If you'll just do a minimum baseline's worth of your job. The red zone was a padlock stat in this game which we talked about the other day. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to sit here in front of a microphone and say, you know, I feel like the red zone is going to be important Saturday. But Missouri was 3 of 3 when they got there, but they only put up 14 points. Georgia was 5 of 5 and put up 27, and that's essentially your ball game. Padlock stat number two, though. Luther Burden, three catches for 53 yards. You tell me that on Friday? You tell me Georgia's limiting Luther Burden to no more than 53 yards? And I'm telling you, they're probably winning football game. And after that opening drive, he had two catches for 14 yards. So uh, that is one of the premier weapons in this conference. And he was kind of an afterthought on the stat sheet. Now, he was an afterthought on the stat sheet because he was the primary focus of that defense. And I get how that works. But they succeeded in really taking him out of being the difference maker that he's capable of being. Look, in football, I really don't think there's a proper appreciation amongst most fans, especially the average fan, about how small the margins are. In college football, people convince themselves, oh, man, you got this recruiting budget, and you got all these four and five stars, and you got this massive staff, and you got these immaculate facilities, and they think that builds this Grand Canyon's worth of a gap on Saturdays. You're doing all that. You're acquiring all that. You're spending all that. You're investing all that just to get inches here and there. It's perfectly laid out in a game like this. You would think Georgia, roster-wise, staff-wise, budget-wise, facility-wise, they got all these massive edges, win the game by nine points. Play the game pretty straight up, win it by nine points. And some folks out there have the audacity to, to look at it and say, Oh, what's wrong with Georgia here? Only won by nine. Colin, you got that sound. Play the sound from Kirby Smart after the game because this right here is, is the message exactly. Look, all games are going to be tight. I don't know. Like, y'all are acting like we're having tight. I mean, tight games are what you do in the SEC. I mean, there's there's the margin of victory. It is hard to win. Kiaris and Broderick just came out of me and said, coach, it's hard to win. Make sure these guys enjoy it because they realize how hard it is, you know, across the NFL. It's hard, man. I mean, you're going to get every team's best shot. And uh, I thought our guys played a really good football team tonight. That's it. Folks don't realize that. Folks don't believe that. A lot of folks will call BS on him saying that right there. He's making excuses for them underachieving. No, I'll tell you the opposite side of that coin. One of the key sources of myopia and uninformed opinion and utter stupidity in a lot of cases that spread throughout this sport and spoken into a lot of microphones and typed on a lot of devices is a basic fundamental lack of understanding of how small the margins are, even between teams that have Gulfs of budget and recruiting talent and roster talent between them, like Georgia and Missouri. You're doing all that. You're getting all that just to get inches here and there. And look, over the span of a season, maybe it plays itself out. But that margin over the span of a drive or a quarter or even a whole afternoon is not nearly as big as a lot of folks make it out to be in their mind. And what can happen? when you're not just utterly disposing of Missouri by the end of the first quarter, is some folks can get it in their mind that something's wrong. Nothing's wrong. (laughs) Nothing's wrong, man. A football game's happening. Actually, I think that's what's right. Something right is happening. It's competition. That's what it is. You got to hat tip Eli Drinkwitz. I'm, again, going to delve into an area that he'd not be interested in hearing right now. These are not folks who are wired to go give it the good college try take your loss, and then get patted on the head because you competed. That's not what they're interested in. That's why I'm not saying this for his amusement. I'm just saying in general, they've lost to Georgia, and they've lost to LSU, and turnovers late probably cost them in both games. And that's it. They've, they've won against Kansas State. They've beaten Kentucky. They've beaten South Carolina. So in a world where, and especially a conference, where it's really tough to elevate, if you're on one tier of the SEC. Think about this. How often have you seen programs, not teams, but programs elevate a tier? Bama's at the top. Georgia's at the top. Um, Think about teams elevating tiers. That's a pretty set system. It's a pretty set model. And I'd venture to say Missouri is threatening to elevate a tier. The reason I say threatening instead of outright doing it is because it takes more than one year worth of results to at least convince me that you've done it. But I had tipping, man. There were a lot of folks doubting that Eli Drinkwitz coming into this year, and all of a sudden they started winning close games. Uh, they started scoring more points. It's crazy what happens if you'll just score a little bit more. Brady Cook's been a revelation of sorts for him, so good for him. Um, season's not over. Still got, who do they have, Colin? I don't know if you put their schedule up already. I know they got Tennessee still. They've got, I think, a game against Arkansas. Uh, yeah, and Florida. So three games here. Tennessee, Florida at Arkansas. I think that Tennessee game this Saturday is the CBS 330 game of the week. I'll be watching. Will you? They're watching us in Erie, Pennsylvania. Panama City Beach, Florida is tuned in tonight. Morgantown, West Virginia is tuned in. Oh, boy. Well, this won't be fun. This won't be happy. We're about to talk about Miami. If anyone just has the show on in the background, the more the more sadistic-minded amongst you, and you just want to revel in misery, there's your warning. Come in from the other room. We're about to talk about Miami. Oh, boy. Uh, Miami lost 20-6 to to NC State yesterday. Just horrific execution. So, first off, congratulations. This is me doing an air handshake to the entire NC State program there. They've gotten a couple of big time wins this year and they should be applauded for it and I'm applauding them for it. But 98% of the talk in my inbox today was about what should happen with Miami. What should happen? What do you think about Mario Cristobal? How did this happen? Well, well, I'll tell you really quickly how it happened. Uh, Despite outgaining NC State by 60 yards, they lost by two touchdowns. They had three red zone possessions and gained three points off of those. Minus two turnovers. uh, That's basically it. That's a recipe to lose a football game. However, where's Miami right now? Always do the thing in August where we do the best, worst, most likely scenarios. And we define, or we try to define what would be success. So for Miami, a team that went five and seven last year, back in August, I went on a number of different boards. I went on the show and I asked, what would success be? And people said seven and five to eight and four would be success. And I'm looking around right now and I know by name, several of you who told me seven and five, eight and four would be success are calling for changes, fundamentally changes to the program that is six and three right now. And I'm just wondering, what's it going to look like when the dust settles? They've got three games left. They're all tough. They got Florida State this week. They got Louisville. They got Boston College. So, my get, let's just say they finish seven and five. Let, let's err on the side that assumes they'll lose two of these games. Let's say they go seven and five. How how was the season? They beat A and M. They beat Clemson. And due to implosions against Georgia Tech and To a certain degree, games like yesterday in North Carolina, although I can't prove they would have won those even without the turnovers, um, seven and five. What's the program? I'm asking you. Since you asked me, I'm asking you because I'll tell you what I think. I think it's improvement. That's what I think. I just know that's not popular to say when the, the, the volume of a loss is still reverberating through the fan base the next day. But it's pretty simple. To me, they've got three losses, and they were minus nine turnovers with 68 penalty yards on average in those losses. That's why they're a three-loss team right now. That's the long and short of it. Now, the hard question is, what do you think the program is? To me, it's a, it's a question worth asking because that's how you define expectation. Everyone that doesn't properly study the history of these programs leaves themselves vulnerable to misdefining or ill-defining expectations, and that sets you up for failure and disappointment. And what I mean by that is, what business do you have taking a program that's got one double-digit win season since 2004 and just blindly expecting 10 wins to be the baseline for them? That's illogical. And if I brought the alien, our buddy, who sometimes visits Earth, if I brought him down here and I said, alien, welcome back, bud. How have you been? Uh, we, got a, we got a program here, one, one double-digit win season since 04, and we got some folks saying eight wins is not good enough over here. What do you think? And that translates to, are you people high? What's wrong with you? Of course that's good enough, but the alien doesn't know what we know. He doesn't know who Howard Schnellenberger is, I don't think. He doesn't know who Jimmy Johnson is. He doesn't know what has happened there. He doesn't know what can happen there. He doesn't know any of this. So, you know, maybe there's a little uh, youthful ignorance about the alien when it comes to college football, but I am telling you this has not been a little three or four or five-year mini drought. It's been a prolonged drought at Miami, and the only point I'm making is don't be looking at five and seven year one, seven and five year two, just because you get lost in the weeds of individual losses and start trying to you know, hit the reset button. It's not smart. It's not a smart way to go about it. They're bordering on a top 10 class this upcoming year. Most of this freshman class is playing right now. Reuben Bain's a stud. The ones who aren't playing now will be playing next year. That entire class will be on the field next year. I, I think it's a program that is trending in the right direction, even after another loss yesterday. I always find value in saying positive things after the loss Cause that's how you know I really mean it. Anyone can say good things after the win. I, I Jesse, correct me if I'm wrong. I think I've been pretty consistent on Miami all year. I talked them up when they beat AM. I talked them up as a program even after they lost to Georgia Tech. I just said the decision making was horrible. But that's you know, that's forest over here, trees over here. You start asking me about programs. And that's when the Mimaw adage comes back in, move at the speed of honey, not the speed of water. And if you don't know, go back in the archives and you can check out Mimaw's teachings on how to differentiate programs from teams. So anyway, Miami lost yesterday. Sucks for you guys. Congratulations to NC State. Miami will be okay. Next up, maybe I hold in my hand another team that some of you sold on. Maybe I sold on them. This is worth another sip of the hot water here. You know what happened yesterday? What happened is Clemson won a football game that they were not favored in. 31 to 23, they beat Notre Dame. Sometimes Saturday is the ultimate cure. Sunday last week, I needed a cure from food poisoning and it was not provided to me. The sink was my cure. But Dabo Swinney, he got a Saturday delivered to him yesterday and he got an inspired performance from his team And they won. And if you have been out of pocket, let me tell you something. Last week felt like a month around the Clemson football program. And that is credit Tyler from Spartanburg, whomever you may be, calls into the radio show last Monday night or whenever it is. And Dabo goes off and I got no voice last week. So I couldn't talk about it on the show. And it killed me because uh, trust me, friends, I did have a few things to say about it. And I'll circle back around to that in just a second. Hey, man, there was no questioning the heart they played with yesterday. I didn't question the heart they played with at any point in the year. I questioned the ability, the ceiling of the team. This surprised me. This result surprised me. And then we get the word before the game, Will Shipley's out. One of the, in my mind, one of the only premier difference maker types offensively for them's out. And Phil Maffa steps up at running back. 36 carries, 182 yards, two touchdowns, good for him, good for Clemson's offense, good for the team. Saturday, just get Saturday at your doorstep, and it can make so many things right in the moment. In reality, nothing changed bigger picture yesterday. I'll get back to that in just a second. Notre Dame, I do need to talk about them for a second. Notre Dame, they had three three and outs in their final six drives. They had a punt. They had an interception. They had a turnover on downs. Uh, Not a good finish. Clemson has something to do with that, obviously. Not a good finish for the Irish. And Sam Hartman, man, has has been a disappointment, that quarterback up there. I'm not putting it all on him, by the way. I don't know that the offensive staff has put him in the best position. And I want you to think about this, because I don't know that many people thought they'd be saying this about a month and a half ago. But um, when Tommy Reese left South Bend, they elevated Gerard Parker internally to offensive coordinator. I'd say Tommy Reese is doing a lot more with Jalen Milrow at this point in the season than Parker's doing with Sam Hartman. Hartman was 13 of 30 yesterday. He's had multiple interceptions in three of his last four games and um, just expected more. Maybe that's on me. I'm always willing to consider the possibility that maybe I built a guy up a little bit too lofty in my own head. Maybe it's my expectations that are the problem. Maybe Sam Hartman's not the problem. Maybe Parker there in the offensive staff's not the problem. Maybe we need to share the blame. I think we can all agree upon that at least. Uh, the what now culture is having a time. The what now culture is the kind of folks who last week wanted to fire Dabo Swinney, then he wins a game yesterday. And the what now is all of a sudden, oh, it. They're rejuvenated. They're revitalized. Dabo's turned the page. Oh, look at this teary post-game press conference. That's emotion. Your emotions make you do some terrible things sometimes. It's wonderful. God implanted that in me for a reason, but all due respect to my creator, when it comes time to judge this stuff, I cannot let game-by-game results cloud my better judgment on this. Nothing's changed about The overall trajectory of the Clemson program over the last two weeks. So you had the worst of outcomes and the best of outcomes. When Dabo went off on that caller on the radio show, I tweeted out, Dabo's not going to change. And that was not me taking the caller side against him. Unfortunately, I had no voice, so I couldn't really vocalize this um, some people took that to mean, oh, he's, he's going after Dabo. And in reality, Dabo dealt with that caller exactly how he should. <laughs> I'm all for Dabo Duncan on the guy. I don't care about that. What I'm saying is what came out of Dabo's mouth was validation and, and further amplification of the point I've made to you for a long time. And that is you may look at his approach to the transfer portal and just assume that once they lose some games because they're not talented enough, he'll change. And I'm telling you, I don't think that's the case. I've told you that the entire season. When Dabo says it, it just makes me feel more confident that my opinion is spot on. And he has sort of dug his heels in on the idea, not to get into specifics, but the idea in general that my approach works. I, I built Clemson, not alone, but I built Clemson. My ways won titles here and he believes it will again. My fundamental disagreement there is he's right about what's happened in the past. I just happen to think some of the approaches that did work in one era may not be tailor-made to work in this era or the coming era, and we'll find out one way or the other, and it's, it's ultimately up to him. It's not up to me, but either way, no win yesterday or loss they would have lost the game. really changes that. It's just as good, it's a good Saturday afternoon if you're a Clemson Tiger fan. That's the long and short of it. Um, we have got, well, I got a few more things to talk to you about, and then I got some best bets coming up. I get asked every week, probably dozens of times. It could be hundreds, at least dozens. Some of you ask me, if I want to bet on football, Where should I go? And I always have I've got actually in my phone, I've got typed out my advice on betting. And it is boring. And it is a lot of times it's encouraging you not to do it because you cannot afford to do it. And it's it's some advice on money management and proper discipline. And I look, I am a partner with FanDuel. And yet I tell you sometimes, don't do this stuff for fun. And um, if you're doing it for fun, that's okay. Like, you know, a a lot of you go to the movies and you hand over $10 because you're going there to be entertained. And a lot of you look at betting the same way. I am handing FanDuel 10 of my dollars. I'd love to win, but even if I don't win, it kept me entertained this afternoon. And if that's the way you look at it, that's your prerogative. I never looked at betting that way betting's not fun. It never was fun for me. I strictly did it to make money. And so I say all that to say, when you guys come to me and you ask me, I copy and paste the same response and I give it to all of you. That's my blanket betting advice. But when you ask me where you should go, that's where I have the answer. I got the answer because we have partnered with FanDuel for that very reason. Like I, I don't need to guess around there. Like right now, you sign up there, you bet five dollars. They're matching it with 150. And I don't care if you win by a million or lose by a million on the game you bet five bucks on, they're putting 150 in your account. That's that's just cause we said so. Not cause Stone Cold said so, because we said so. You go to fanduel.com backslash CFB promotion. The link, if you're too lazy to type it, which I would perfectly understand, is in the show description on the YouTube channel. We've got description under the video and you can just click on it you can go over there right now it helps us because they know that you came by way of late kick but there are a lot of different ways to do it we do Friday night lines on Instagram live at late kick Josh that is brought to you by FanDuel in about 15 minutes I'll give you our first two best bets of this week We're, we're making money this year yet again on the ramen noodle express not such a great day yesterday but that's okay That's why we're up so much on the year so we can bake a bad afternoon in. It's all brought to you by FanDuel. So we're very fortunate to partner with them. And uh, here's the thing that I've, I'll tell you this, full disclosure. When I met with FanDuel, what was different about our negotiations with them versus a couple of the other big guys out there is a couple of the other big guys were emphatic that we promote certain things on this show that I think are guaranteed money burners. And I said, I wouldn't do it, and we didn't partner with them. When I met with FanDuel, they said, you call it, and we'll, we'll tailor something that works for you. That's why we're a partner with FanDuel. It's authenticity. That's why we're a partner with FanDuel. So we appreciate them, they appreciate you, I appreciate you, just a bunch of appreciation. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required, bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1 800 NEXT STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1 888 789 7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut. 1 800 9 with it in Indiana. 1 800 522 4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1 877 770 STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8HOPE-NY or text HOPENY in New York. However, I cannot promise the good vibes continue here because the piece of paper I'm holding in my hand Says, Florida got beat by Arkansas yesterday. Here's how big a surprise this was. Trey Biddy did his walk and talk for Hogs twenty four seven or Hogsports, Sports, and um, he wasn't even in, he wasn't even in the swamp. He's just in a nondescript location. I think there was a park in the background. I saw those those frisbee golf nets in the background. Thirty nine to thirty six, Florida upset by Arkansas in overtime. And I don't really like to be the I told you so kind, but did we not just flat out call this on the Thursday show in the upset alert section? The line was five and a half. I never understood the public sentiment on this game last week. People were looking at it and saying, boy, if if Arkansas were to pull this off, what? It's a very mild upset. I didn't get it. I really didn't get it. The line dropped to three before kickoff. I just – I. Why would that have been a major upset? Florida is not a good team. Neither is Arkansas. The difference is Arkansas was underrated because of that. I'm not going to keep saying I told you guys. um, because That gets really redundant. But we have spoken about this. You and I have spoken about Arkansas. So the whole thing about this is now it's raising a lot of questions about Billy Napier. Well, they were already raised. It is massively turning up the volume, amplifying, if you will, those questions. Sub-500, year one, pacing for five and seven in year two. No, never mind, that was Mike Norvell. That was current undefeated head coach of Florida State, Mike Norvell, that did that his first two years. Why do I mention that? Because William Napier, you might know him as Billy, looks like he's about to do the same thing. Sub-500 his first year, five and seven thereabouts. His second year... And that's being used and packaged and sent to me as evidence that they need to fire him. He's not going to be fired. Billy Napier is not getting fired. I'll bet you money on that. I don't know that FanDuel has a prop on it, but I'll bet you money on that. He's not getting worse week by week either. I don't know if you understand how this works. He's not forgetting the football he once knew. It's just that games are happening. Outcomes are happening. It is what it is right now. His future is not tied to 2023. His future is tied to the 2024 season and that 2024 recruiting class and DJ Lagway. And everybody knows it. And if you don't, I'm telling you, that's the situation at Florida. So right now they got a top five recruiting class. That's it. They got a premier quarterback in that class in Lagway. That's it. They got a ridiculously difficult schedule next year. And you'll have to cross that bridge when you get to it. It is hard to rebuild in the SEC. It's hardest to do it in this conference. I'm not saying it's easy elsewhere, but like what Jed Fish is doing in Arizona, hat tip to him, is a little bit easier to do out there because the personnel along the lines of scrimmage are different in such a way that there are changes away from the ball that sometimes are the difference in three or four games, whereas down here, the attrition and line of scrimmage talent really make it so as it's tough to rebuild. Now, if you doubt that, I will also tell you those words are not necessarily mine. It is a well-known coach, not affiliated with Florida, a well-known coach that I talked to about that today because I wanted his opinion on Florida. I'm not telling you it's going to work, by the way. A lot of times when I'll do segments like this, get a little worked up, uh, people will take that to mean there he goes defending whoever. In this case, there he goes defending Billy Napier. I got no clue if it's going to work. I don't know. I've never said otherwise. I'm just telling you, he's not going to get fired. He shouldn't get fired. It's in. It's incredibly short-sighted to advocate for that kind of approach, knowing full well what's happening right down the road in Tallahassee and what wouldn't be happening if they pulled the plug after a couple of subpar years at the outset of Mike Norvell's tenure in, in Tallahassee. And I'm also telling you 2024 is where rubber meets road and that 2024 recruiting class with that quarterback is where rubber meets road. And a few staff changes and Lagway being the real deal at quarterback and all of a sudden, boom. And a lot of you are going back and deleting tweets and deleting message board posts like they're doing at Michigan right now. You got a lot of folks defending Jim Harbaugh to the absolute death who called for him to be fired a few years ago. Here's the thing. You get to do that as much as you want to on Twitter. You get to do that stuff as much as you want to on your message board. But if you're the actual AD, you don't get the redo. When you fire the guy, he's fired. And then your program may rebound or it may go in a tailspin and disappear for the next 15 years. So unlike people who have the fortune or the ability to change their opinion week to week on this stuff, you got to be really sure if you're the actual decision maker. Some added takeaways from this very interesting week 10 of college football. Oklahoma State, my preseason Big 12 championship game pick, mind you, won against Oklahoma yesterday in the final bedlam, 27-24. to 24. There's a shark fin just offshore in the Big 12, and it's got an Oklahoma State Cowboy logo on it. Whomstead have thunk it, right? Other than us, of course. Now, I want you to do me a favor. I'll do... Pretty much anything within reason you guys want me to, I do need you to do me the small favor of completely forgetting that we did a reprediction special in the middle of the year where I may or may not have waffled on this pick. Nope, doesn't count. As far as you go, I want you to forget it ever happened. No. Texas, Oklahoma State, that was my pick in August. That's the only pick that we're going to acknowledge the existence of. And lo and behold, they are 1-2 in the odds market right now. They are favored to play in the Big 12 championship game. Oklahoma State got boat raced by South Alabama earlier this year. I mean, pantsed at home. And now they've won five straight. They're rolling. Anything is possible. Mike Gundy has gone full Kevin Garnett mode. Anything is possible in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Washington 52, USC 42. You know, I probably should have put this earlier in the show. Alex Grinch got fired today, the defensive coordinator there. Like, it's happened. There's no more guesswork. Will Lincoln Riley do it? It's happened. And if you're new to this sport, uh, we got about, what is it, Jesse? 133 teams play at the FBS level. So defensively? For USC, whether it's scoring, total, rushing, passing, plays of 10-plus yards given up, they were in the 100s in every single category defensively. So Alex Grinch has been fired. They're going to move some staff around there. They go to Oregon this week. It won't get any better immediately, I wouldn't think. Uh, Washington, though, prime position. I don't know if your mind does this thing sometimes where because because Washington played a weird game against Arizona State where they didn't score an offensive touchdown, your, your mind does this weird thing. They went to Stanford and they played a close game. You kind of think in your head they lost, but they haven't. Washington's still undefeated and they're in prime position now. They've even got some wiggle room out there. And Washington, Oregon may be on a collision course for that Friday night in a Las Vegas Pac-12 championship game not too far down the road. Oh, by the way, just stats and info has provided me with this helpful post-it. Dylan Johnson, to give you an idea how bad it's been for USC, Dylan Johnson, running back for Washington, had never had a 100-yard rushing game in his career. He went 26 carries for 256 and four touchdowns yesterday. Everybody gets right against USC's defense. But I'm not going to pile on because they did make moves today. Next up, Ole Miss beat A&M 38-35. Ole Miss is about to go to Athens, Georgia this Saturday night and play against Georgia in one of the biggest games of Lane Kiffin's career. But in the meantime, I'm looking in the rear view, Jackson Dart went 24-33, 387, two touchdowns yesterday. This is kind of lost in this season because he's been so good. Do you remember what happened in the spring? Do you remember they went and got Walker Howard from LSU? Do you remember they went and got Spencer Sanders, multi-year starter from Oklahoma State? And the big question was, ooh, how's that quarterback room going to shake out? It shook out the same way it did last year. Is Jackson Dart's job. And he never even really made it close. And it's playing really good ball. And Ole Miss is one of the best teams in the country right now. But the bigger question around this game, because naturally America loves to talk about losers, is um, what's going to happen with Jimbo? I don't, ironically, I don't have anything more to say. It is what it is. These are the results that you would expect to get. Um, The results that you're getting from Texas A&M, are directly aligned with the leadership at Texas A&M. They're not a terrible team. It's not a terrible program. There's nothing overly special about them right now either, and therefore that's the kind of result you're gonna get. They're very bad on the road, and that's not a yesterday thing, by the way. They fought yesterday. No one here suggesting otherwise. They just should be better, and they're not. And I am not sure that's gonna change, they're probably going to end up somewhere around 7-5, and five, and we'll see what happens. I don't. I just don't think there's anything new to say about it. Uh, Penn State smoked Maryland yesterday, 51-14. Maryland had negative 49 rushing yards. Of course, sacks are accounted for there. Penn State's run defense, number one in the country, in power five by 10 yards per game. Uh, Drew Aller had the best game, I thought, of his season yesterday, and it's just – It's all gearing up for Michigan. Sorry, I had to jolt there. I almost got a leg cramp. Michigan's coming to town Saturday. We will be there when Michigan comes to town Saturday. Cannot wait. Everybody thinks they know how good Michigan is, and I don't think anyone actually does. So we'll start to find out this Saturday. Speaking of which, we'll do this, and then we'll get best bets, and we'll get out of here. Um... So the Michigan situation with Harbaugh and, and Connor Stallions, who, is, who has since been relieved of his duties there, it's, it's something that everyone's been following. I think action's coming this week. There's way too much smoke around this. though there's been a lot of reporting, a lot of speculation done, and some of you wanted to know what I think. I think that there's been a lot of legal maneuvering behind the scenes. I think Tony Petiti, the new Big Ten commissioner up there, listened. To the loud complaints from his member head coaches and member institutions, and they have pushed hard for him to take action where the playoff committee will not, and the NCAA is not fast enough to. They want action taken against Harbaugh and Michigan this season up there, and I, I think some drama's coming this week. That's what I think. Now, there's a lot of speculation out there that maybe, maybe the Big Ten presented the idea of an indefinite suspension, whereas maybe Michigan thought they were going to recommend a couple of games, and maybe they would have even been happy to acquiesce with that. Or not happy, but acquiesce with it. If if the Big Ten suggests indefinite suspension, you are not getting Michigan's approval on that. I don't think you're going to get Michigan's cooperation. I think, in turn, you may be setting up And just fascinating spectacle, by the way, you may be setting up for mid-season legal battles between Michigan and their own conference. And I don't even, I can tell you confidently, we'll have to call Dan Lust tomorrow morning uh, because I have no clue how to break that down for you. So we'll probably need to get help on the show. I don't, I don't know that we have precedent for that. I don't know that there's anything in history that you look at and say, oh, this reminds me of this this reminds me of that. Could be wild though. And I, I will reiterate, there are also things going on behind the scenes that we we really don't know. Just because you read it on a board, just because you read it on Twitter, it doesn't mean it's reality or it may be reality. And it's only a one layer of the onion. And the the way that I gauge this stuff is, It's not hard to get people to talk about this with you behind the scenes, I have found. I have got people, and a lot of them in the Big Ten are willing to talk about it. But a lot of times when there's a big story in college football, folks will tell me things and they'll say, yeah, you can say that, just don't mention my name. Most everyone who has shared any kind of information with me on this Michigan thing has said, I can't have that repeated, which is how I know it is really tight, really buttoned up up there right now. And if if that's what I'm hearing, and me knowing good and well, I'm only hearing a fraction of what's actually going on. That means there is a lot that's probably integral to this that we have no idea about. And that leads to a lot of refreshing on the phone. So keep your eyes peeled, man. Keep your eyes peeled because it could be a very eventful week in the Big Ten. And that leads, by the way, to Michigan at Penn State where we will be this Saturday. Just coincidentally right in the eye of the hurricane as usual. All right, Ramen Noodle Express. Let's get some best bets and let's get out of here. The Ramen Noodle Express courtesy of FanDuel brought to you by FanDuel. We're going to kick it off with Pitt minus one this week. They're going to Boston College. And how about some Tuesday matching for you? I think there's a lot of value on Ball State plus 10 and a half. So those are the two early best bets for us this week. Pitt minus one, Ball State plus ten and a half. Got through it tonight. Voice hopefully back Tuesday. Remember, 6 Eastern, 5 Central. That's the start time on Tuesday night. Until then, for producer Jesse, director Colin, I'm Josh Pate. Take care. Have a great start to your week, and God bless. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1 800 NEXT STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1 888 789 7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut. 1 800 9 with it in Indiana. 1 800 522 4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1 877 770 STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland.